I turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Um, I am going to read the whole chapter. So uh, I will grant you the liberty of deciding whether you stand uh, for the whole chapter or not. Uh, If you're able, and I'll even add willing this time, uh, let's stand as we read God's Word together. Uh, But it suits me. Um, The whole chapter just matters. Uh, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night and from what he had had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 male donkeys, 10 I mean, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you, and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are presents sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him. And he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. 
And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let, let you go unless you bless me. And he said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The grass withers, flowers fade, But the word of the Lord stands forever. Now let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that You would now be at work in this, Your Word. Use it to strengthen our faith. To conform us more and more into the image of Christ. Through our Savior, we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. feel like your life is one conflict after another? You ever feel like you're, you're kind of going from, from struggle to struggle, from difficulty to difficulty? Uh, you, you battle one uh, sin, uh, some, I don't know, fleshly desire, some, some worldly temptation, some relational conflict, perhaps even some, some false accusation of some sort, some character assassination, an unfounded uh, statement, wh- whatever the case may be. And, and you do battle with that, and then you think it's behind you, and, and you're sort of, you almost sort of feel like you're walking away from it and kind of looking back at it like, I'm glad that's in my past. And then you look forward, and you're face to face with the next one. As soon as you take your eyes off of the last struggle, you look up and the next one's standing right there. That's exactly where Jacob is at this point. I mean, no sooner does he turn his gaze from Laban as they go their separate ways, only to realize Esau. Esau is right out here. Esau is right out here in front of me. J- Laban is in his rearview mirror only to, 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 to turn around and realize he's heading straight toward Esau. First couple of verses of chapter 32, Jacob meets the angels of God, these messengers from God, and Jacob knows what that means. See, you and I, if, I guess if you and I saw angels we'd probably freak out because I'm pretty sure none of us is, I've never seen an angel. Like I, I don't know that I would know it, but if I knew it, if I knew it was an angel, I think I would probably be scared. This is almost old hat for Jacob. He's done this before. In fact, he's, he's done this in the, the last time he was in this similar area. He, he wrestled with God. Remember, he woke up and, and there's a ladder. He had this dream of a, a ladder and angels ascending and descending on this Ladder. Here he meets these, these angels from God, these messengers from God. He, he knows what that means. 
it should have been a, a comfort to him. It should have been an encouragement to him. He names the place Mahanaim, two camps. He uses that term because he understands two people are camped there. He is and God is. He should know right off the bat, the angels of God, messengers from God, oh wait a minute, that's right, God is here. God is with me. God is is taking this trek with me. It's It's a reminder, it's another reminder of God's promised presence with Jacob. 20 years in, in Paddan Aram, 20 years with Laban are in his past. 20 years have passed since God promised to be with him. The first time, that, that first time he, he had that vision of the latter. He's re-entering Canaan. He's re-entering the promised land. He's re-entering the the place that God had said, I'm going to give you this land. This is going to be yours. It's going to belong to you and to your descendants after you, your children after you. Jacob understands. It's it's a reminder. God is with me. God is here. God has, has not left me. He promised His protecting presence Remember, whenever, wherever, forever. Oh, that's right. This is part of whenever. This is part of wherever. And this is still part of forever in Jacob's mind. He's being reminded all over again that, 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 that there are two camps there. His encampment and God's as well. In some ways, those first two verses almost seem out of place until you realize why that matters. Just why God's presence with Jacob matters at this point. He's heading towards Esau. Now at this point, he doesn't know that Esau is going to be coming his way. And truth is, he doesn't actually have to go to Esau. He he actually intentionally goes out of his way to go meet his brother. It's not actually in his way. He, He actually goes out of his way to see him. And so Jacob sends messengers. God sent him messengers as it were. And so he sends messengers ahead to Esau. Take, take a bunch of stuff with you. Go and show him my wealth. Go show him my possessions. Go and meet Esau. You remember Esau, right? Okay, some of you are visiting. Some of you maybe weren't here the last time Esau came up. So I'll humor you. Um, Esau is Jacob's twin brother, older by an arm's length, right? Born with Jacob hanging on to his heel. So they're twins, but technically Esau is the older by however long a baby's arm, an infant's, a newborn, brand spanking newborn baby's arm is. The last time we saw Esau... Let's see. Oh, that's right. He was waiting for dad to die so he could kill his twin brother. It's the last time we saw him. Just kind of, well, I'll just wait. Dad eventually die. Dad, dad will eventually, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll die one day. And when he does, he's given this blessing. He's promised 
Jacob stole my birthright. He stole my blessing. And so when dad dies, then I can kill him and I'll get everything. That's the last time we saw Esau. That's where Jacob is heading. He's the one uh, that, that Jacob is heading towards at this point. It seems natural, right? That, that Jacob would line up a whole bunch of possessions and say, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. Send this to Esau. Take this to him. He, he may be showing Esau, I don't really need dad's blessing anymore. God has blessed me ever since. I don't really need what dad promised me. You can take it. But he's giving this gift, and his hope is that, um, that he'll find favor in Esau's sight, verse 5. It's only then, when the messengers return, the messengers come back, and they announce to uh, Jacob, oh, by the way, verse 6, uh, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming. With 400 men. Now, I hope, and I I sort of tried to do this when I read, when we were reading the passage, I tried to make you feel, sense the danger of that. Jacob, in this very sort of brief moment, goes, He's at war. Is he at war? I think he's at war. He's bringing an army. No, maybe he's just bringing a bunch of his people. It sounds like an army. I mean, can you imagine Jacob's brain right then? The thoughts that went flying through his brain in that particular moment. We saw Esau and he's coming. And he's bringing 400 men with him. That sounds like an army. That sounds like a war. That sounds like a battle is coming. They... At least the way I read it, and I'm, I realize, I'll admit, I'm probably reading this into the passage a little. But it sure sounds like the messengers think, this is bad. This isn't good. This can't be a good thing. They have this sense that Esau's coming to complete his mission of 20 years. Do you have Inigo Montoya in your head? Hello, my name is Esau. You took my blessing, prepare to die. You know, he's been in the revenge business for 20 years now. Jacob, Jacob has two reactions to this news. Notice in verse 7 and 8, he's distressed. He's afraid. He's convinced Esau is coming with an army, not just you know 400 musicians, right? He's, he's bringing people coming for war. They're not coming to sing with Jacob. They're not... He's convinced this isn't going to be a let's all sing Kumbaya together party. This is going to be a I'm finally going to kill Jacob party. He's afraid. He's distressed. And so he splits uh, the, the camp into two camps. Here it is, two camps again. He divides his wives, the female servants, all his possessions, his children. He splits them all up into two camps. And it, it's it's... It's safety, it's protection. It's if Esau comes upon one, 
If he's intent on, if Esau is intent on doing me harm, if he comes upon one of them, they're going to die. If he comes upon all of us, we're all going to die. So in his mind, he can at least preserve some of his family by splitting them into two groups, two camps. He thinks that this is how, uh, this is the plan. This is the way he's going to prevent the loss of everything all at once. Now this isn't... You remember old Jacob? Old Jacob trusted God's promises, but never was really much of a fan of God's timing and God's methods. I believe what God says, but... I think he needs a little of my help to make it happen. I have to to rob my brother of his birthright. I have to lie and cheat and connive, actually lie to my father's face, pretend to be Esau so that I can steal the blessing that he would have gotten. God had promised it to Jacob. It was Jacob's by God's promise But he wouldn't wait for God to do it God's way and God's timing. He he wanted to do it his way. He wanted to trust his timing. That's old Jacob. This could be old Jacob again. This could be the old man sort of, we need to to invest a little wisdom here and split people up. It may just be wisdom. It's not necessarily unwise to say, well, let's see, if he's coming for war, if I split people up, I can at least protect some of them. I can can save somebody. He trusts God's promises. This may be an example of planning wisely, of of using God's gift of of wisdom to to preserve at least some of the camp. But then there's a second response in verse 9. And this is a response I'm not sure we've seen from Jacob before. Jacob, having divided his people into two camps, Jacob then prays. And I've got to be honest with you. This is a model prayer. The disciples said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And and we use the Lord's Lord's Prayer every single Sunday in our worship service. If you want an Old Testament prayer model, this one's pretty good. Notice how he starts... He begins with God. He begins with God's name, His character. He calls Him the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And that, in many ways, becomes God's name throughout the Old Testament. It'll be used in Exodus. It'll be used in Deuteronomy. It'll be used in the Gospels. It'll be used in Acts. That, That becomes God's personal name. It reflects God's covenant. You're the God of Abraham. You're the God of Isaac. Because you're a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. You're a personal God. One who comes to people, to individuals, and they know you and you know them. Yes, all that is in God of Abraham and God of Isaac. And then he calls Him Lord. He changes the language. Notice your English version, all capital letters. I've done this before. You'll hear it again. 
when you get the all capital Lord in your English Bible, that's the, that's the translator's way of saying, oh, by the way, this is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's, it's the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of the Bible. It's His personal name. The name revealed to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. Jacob begins his prayer with God and God's character and God's attributes. Particularly, focusing on His covenantal character and promises, His covenants with Abraham and Isaac. And then notice, Jacob has a right perspective on God and on his relationship to God. I'm not worthy of all that you've done for me. He's not the Pharisee who says, God, aren't you glad to have me on your team? I sure am glad I'm not like that guy over there. He says, I'm completely unworthy to receive all the gifts, all the blessings, all the steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to an unworthy rebel. There's perspective in prayer for you. Think of the times we... We know better than to say it. So we don't say it. But we might think it. God, I've, I've been doing pretty good. I've had my quiet time two days in a row. I, um, I was nice to my neighbor yesterday. And remember last Thursday when... That's what we do. We have that sort of in the back of our mind that God owes us. Jacob says, you don't owe me. Everything I have, I have because you are a gracious God. I am a worm. I'm unworthy, this this rebellious, unworthy sinner. And it's not until verse 11 that he actually gets to the point. Finally, in verse 11, deliver me from the hand... Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau... I'm afraid, I think he's coming to get me. He finally sort of gets to the point. God, I I need you to deliver me. I need you to protect me. I need you because I'm I'm scared and I think he's going to kill me. I think he's after me. I think he's coming because he's still mad at me. I think his 20 years of of anger has just continued to build up and seethe and, and now... I need you to save me. But the, the, the key, the key to Jacob's prayer actually comes in verse 12. Notice what he does in verse 12. He takes God's promise and then prays it. You said, I will surely do good. Do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob understands. If Esau comes against me and my 11 children and my wives and he kills us all, your promise appears to be a lie. Your promise can't come true if we're all dead. He's actually, 
When you take 11 and 12 together, he's actually saying, God, you have to, I, I want you, I'm asking you, please deliver me from my brother for the sake of your promise. For the sake of that which you have said. Preserve your promises. Preserve your word. It's not just preserve me, but preserve what you have said to me. You've promised to do good to me. How often do you literally open your Bible and pray God's Word? There's a, there's a conversation there. God speaks to you in His Word and you speak to Him in prayer. There's something to be said for actually taking God's Word and turning it back into a prayer. Of, of claiming His promises. Of reminding Him of His promises. Of crying out in prayer and, and bleeding, oozing His Word back to Him. Now we, we know God doesn't forget. I think we said this last week or two weeks ago. We, we're not reminding Him of God. Hey, Remember you said... So you and I set reminders on our phones. Because if an alarm doesn't go off, that thing isn't going to happen. Had one go off on the drive over here this morning. We set alarm... God doesn't forget. But we're encouraged to pray His Word right back to Him. To claim His promises. Now, make sure you're using them in the right way, the right context. Don't, don't grab some promise that isn't for you and then claim it. You know, name it, claim it, and poof, you get it. You've got to use it in the right context. But Jacob had a, a direct promise from God, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And so he's taking that very, that very promise and turning it right back to God in prayer. He's pleading for God to fulfill His promises. For God's Word not to, to, to turn out to be a lie. To be uh, an empty, vain promise. We would do well to follow that model. We would do well to pray God's Word. To pray His promises back to Him. Having prayed, though, he then sends gifts to Esau. 550 animals. That's a big zoo. 550 animals he sends to his brother. Actually, 550 plus the calves of the milking camels. So it's 550 plus that he sends to Esau as a gift. He hopes to... Um, to appease his brother. He hopes to alleviate his brother's anger. He hopes that, that these animals will serve as a, a buffer. Maybe he buys Esau's favor. Maybe he's appeasing his, his brother's anger, trying to, to assuage his, his wrath. And after those gifts are gone, he crosses the stream, sends his family across the stream. And again, Jacob's alone. 
he left Canaan with just his staff. And here this night, he's there with just his staff. Everyone else is gone. He's he sent his family across the stream already. They're just on the other side. He's by himself. Oh, how your mind wanders when you're alone. The fear, the worry, the guilt, the shame. It, it all, it just has to get worse when you're, you're just, there's, there's no outlet, you're, you're alone, and, and, and it all just gets so much worse. Jacob's alone, and it's nighttime, even worse, it's now dark, and he's alone. He's afraid for his family, he's afraid for his own life, he's a, afraid for his stuff, he's probably even afraid for Esau at some level. And now here he is alone. At least he thinks he's alone. Because all of a sudden, verse 24, Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him. There's, there's a part of you going, whoa, 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 hold on, time out. Is he alone or is a man wrestling with him? Because can't be both. Except that the man sort of shows up out of nowhere. He was alone. He is alone. He's by himself. And, and suddenly a man shows up and wrestles with Jacob. Imagine spending an entire night wrestling. Jacob knows, Jacob discovers, perhaps he doesn't when he's first jumped out of nowhere, but it, he discovers that he's actually wrestling with God. We find out in verse 30 that he realizes, I, I was seeing God face to face and my life has delivered. He knows that he's wrestling with God. And verse 26, as, as the morning comes, as the sun starts to, to rise, this man says, let me go. Day is coming. And Jacob, Jacob's so good at, I mean, you just have this picture. The man standing up to get away and Jacob almost lying on the ground, his arms wrapped around his ankles. I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob's good at holding on to people's legs. He's good at, in the past, he was grabbing on to them because, you know, for his own sort of, um, his own advancement, his own good here. I will not let you go until you bless me. But notice what he gets instead, verse 27. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so the man's response, God's response to him is, what's your name? Um... He probably, I hope, I'd like to think he hesitated. I'm pretty sure there was an um in the Hebrew version before he said, um, my name is Jacob. I'm um, supplanter. 
What's your name? Um, deceiver. It's um, it's heel grabber. That, that's 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 my name. My name's yeah. My name's supplanter. That's what I do. That, that, that's the way names work, right? I mean. Names in the Bible convey character. They're not just the word by which your attention is gotten when people need to get your attention. They convey character. They convey something about the person. What's your name? Jacob's going, uh, um, I, I trick people. Yeah, my parents named me, I trick people. That's my name. That's, that's who I am. That's, that's what I do. If you ask for a blessing and you get in return, what's your name? And you have to admit, my name is um, <clears throat> Cheater. That doesn't sound like a blessing. Like he had to be wondering, what in the world is this? What's going on? Like what, how is this a good thing? Until verse 28. When God, when, when Jacob's wrestling opponent says, not anymore. We're going to not call you Jacob anymore. We're going to call you Israel. Uh, you have wrestled with God. You've wrestled with men. And you know what? You've won. You've prevailed. So we're going to change your name to Israel. Uh, you, you strive with people. God strives. You have striven with God. He's given a new name. He's given a new, a new character. This image of him hanging on to his opponent's ankles for dear life. This new name that he gets. They convey an image of Jacob totally and completely dependent on God's grace. Now, we have to deal with the question, right? Because I even had this conversation with Mary Lyle's yesterday, Friday, yesterday, I don't even remember when it was, Friday, I think. We were talking about this passage, and, and she said, wait, 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 Jacob wrestled with God, and she goes, any, anyone? Went, yep, she goes, now I'm confused. Dads, you ever wrestled with your kids? I, I mean when they were three, four, five, and six. Some of you don't want to wrestle with your kids anymore. Some of you shouldn't wrestle with your kids anymore. You'll lose. But when, you know, when your kids are, when, you, when your sons are three, four, five, six years old, they come up behind you and grab you. You, you know, crash to the ground. Oh, you got me. It climbs on top of you. You wrestle and you're rolling around on the ground until finally he pins you and he says, I won. And you say, oh, no, you won. I'll get you next time. Just you wait. He's three. Your, your child's four. I think you could have won. They won because you let them win. They won because in your grace and mercy you allowed them to win. God simply touched Jacob's hip. Jacob, Jacob's opponent touched Jacob's hip and his hip was out of socket. If I could do that. I mean, 
clearly his opponent was infinitely greater than he. The only reason Jacob prevailed, the only reason God didn't smite him dead for that matter, was because of his grace, because of his mercy. How can Jacob strive with God and win? Only if his opponent, only if God grants him the grace to let him win. All it took was a a touch to knock his hip out of socket. Clearly, his opponent was infinitely greater than he. Jacob only won because though outmatched, his opponent let him. Jacob wins by God's grace. And as a result of that touch, as a result of the wrestling match, Jacob has a new name. He's now Israel. He's got a new character. He's he's remade. He's reborn in many ways. No longer longer supplanter, no longer cheater, cheater, but strives with God in the father of the nation of Israel. But he also now walks with a limp. In the next chapter, he's going to meet Esau. But he's not going to run to him. He's going to hobble to him. He's going to, he's going to walk with a limp. His, his hip will forever be sore. It will always cause him trouble. It will always be a, a, a little hitch in his giddy-up, so to speak. The supplanter is now strives with God. This limp this hitch in his step is a permanent sign of weakness. It's a permanent sign of dependence on God's grace. It's a permanent reminder that he will forever have that yes, he wrestled with God and yes, he won, but even that was only because of God's grace. He's going to carry this reminder of of. God's mercy and grace with him wherever he goes. And quite honestly, this chapter is meant to teach us to walk with a limp also. This chapter reminds us that you and I must walk with a limp. Maybe you... Metaphorically speaking, of course. You walk just fine. You stand up straight. You are uh, completely self-reliant. You're convinced that you have everything under control. That you are, uh, don't need anyone else. You can live your life uh, just like you want. And you're doing just fine. Everything is going great. You're convinced that... That for that matter, God's privileged to count you His child, to count you as a, a part of His team. That you can handle anything that comes your way. You seek your own honor. You seek your own glory. Maybe that's how you walk. Maybe that's, that's how you're walking in this life. Self-reliance says, I've got this. I don't need you. Who needs grace? You know, there's a, I may have used this illustration before. I can't remember. If I have, humor me. Just pretend, smile and nod. 1998 NBA All-Star Game. 
Kobe versus Michael Jordan. It was the matchup. At one point during the game, Carl Malone was playing with Kobe Bryant. Carl Malone did exactly what Carl Malone does so well, what made him bazillions of dollars in the NBA. Remember his pick and roll with John Stockton. Um, Carl Malone comes over to set a screen on Michael Jordan. Kobe's got the ball. And Malone steps over to set a screen on Michael. Kobe waved him off. 19-year-old Kobe Bryant going one-on-one against Michael Jordan looked at Carl Malone and said, I don't need your help. I'll take Jordan off the dribble. I'll take him myself. I've got this. Do we do that to God? Do we look at God and say, I, quite honestly, I, I got this. I'm not sure I really need you. I, you go do something else, you know, important. You know, you go help my neighbor. You go help the people across. I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Maybe you're afraid to limp. Maybe you're afraid that that, that I can't limp. I've got to look like. I've got, I've got for people around me have to see that I have my life together. I need for people around me to see that, yes, I've become a Christian and now life is perfect. And nothing's ever wrong. And everything's going swimmingly. And my life is great. And I can't show weakness like that. I can't walk with a limp. I've got to walk with this strong, steady gait because I can't reveal any weakness. A limp admits that you depend on God's grace every minute of every day for every step you take. Humility, limping, Struggling, it all says, in my weakness, he is made strong. You know, self-reliant, self-trusting, self-worshipping, independent, I can do this on my own people. Don't get into the promised land. Jacob needed to be dependent on God and His grace before he got back into Canaan, before he crossed that stream. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation, you're thinking to yourself, I'm really doing okay. Truth is, you aren't and you can't. You can't do this on your own. You can't save yourself. You need the cross of Christ. Run there. There find help. There find grace. And here in this room, find other Limping, struggling, hurting people that will gladly limp along with you. Believers, this is why sometimes your life feels like one struggle right after another. This is why sometimes you feel like as soon as I turn my face away from last struggle and turn and look to where I'm going, there's another one sitting right in front of me. Why? Because we have got to be dependent on God's grace. These struggles teach us 
They even drive us, force us to lean on God and not to ourselves, to rely on Him and not yourself. Yes, we want everyone to think our lives are great. We like for people to think that our lives are perfect. We're getting by just fine. The reality is that walking with a limp, that isn't shame. It's boasting in Christ's strength. It's boasting in our own weakness so that we can walk in God's strength. May that be a mark of Grace Covenant Church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your grace poured out on unworthy rebellious people we'd like to say like Jacob and what we mean is like us we know we're not worthy of your grace we know we're not worthy of your mercy we pray that that we would even boast in our limping even boast in our weakness so that you might be strong so that your name might be made great so that your grace might be proclaimed from every hilltop And Father, we pray that You would grant us the grace to live each day, each moment, for Your honor and for Your glory. Through Christ we ask it all. Amen.